You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This is a very special episode because we're having back on a guest who blew my mind. His work just changed the game. We're talking about Dr. William Davis, the author of Wheat Belly, New York Times mega hit bestseller. And we'll put the episode he was on previously in the show notes. So make sure to check that one out if you happen to miss it. There's so much foundational pieces there that you definitely don't want to miss. So make sure to check that one out. Now, he's on today to talk about his new project, which is kind of the word controversy, right? Controversy. It, it starts to muster up some feelings, right? His controversial book, Undoctored, which actually really isn't that controversial because he's just laying out the facts about our healthcare system. And it's a, it's a model that is broken and it's been broken for a long time. A lot of us don't realize that this is the number one money spend in our country. It's not, it's not weapons, it's not military, it's healthcare. Our dollars are going there more than anywhere else. And it's just growing and growing. It is becoming a bit of a monster. And at the end of the day, we wanna understand like, what is it for? Are we actually seeing results? Are we healthier as a nation? No, actually it's the opposite. So there's something that's off here. And we're gonna talk about that today. Many different pieces, many different topics to discuss, but I want you to be empowered. I want you to be aware that there are other options. You know, instead of this thing happens, I go to my doctor, I get this drug, I get this surgery, I get these various treatments that actually don't eliminate the cause of the illness. And that's what we wanna focus on. You know, when we talk about issues like diabetes or heart disease, those issues themselves are side effects of a deeper issue. If we take an example like eczema, for example, this is something that my little sister struggled with uh, all of her life, really, you know, and I remember her having these rashes when she was a little girl, like specifically like behind her knees and these kind of things. And it was just a different expression of the same kind of autoimmune swamp mess that me and my little brother had as well. You know, him and I had asthma was our kind of genetic tendency when we were exposed to the same things in the household. And so eczema is strangely, it's a little bit of a form of that. And it's an autoimmune based condition. And it's largely triggered by the inclusion of lectins, of gliadin, of compounds that are found in conventional wheat, right? Creating this autoimmune cascade that again, we broke down on that past episode with Dr. Davis, but the bottom line is some of these compounds get into your gut lining and start to literally tear your gut lining apart, letting complete proteins get into your bloodstream, which is very dangerous because your immune system is going to be front and center hopping on that substance that should not be in your bloodstream and sending its defenders out to do its job, to take those foreign compounds out. All good. Well, not actually so good because your immune system has evolved to be very fast learners. Now, anything that even remotely looks like that foreign compound, maybe it was an amino acid structure of ABAB that snuck its way in through a donut that you ate, all right? and had some of those compounds in there. Oh, no, better yet, whole wheat toast, a whole wheat piece of toast, right? So you had some lectins, gliadin, these kind of things, and stowing away, getting into your bloodstream, that protein structure, ABAB. Now, the issue is that 
you, maybe your thyroid tissue has that same protein structure, ABAB. Maybe it's your skin, ABAB, right? And so your immune system is literally going to go and start attacking your own tissues. And it's doing this to protect you in a strange way, right? Crazy stuff. It's like autoimmune disease, autoimmune disease. What does that mean? My body's attacking itself. Why would it do that? Your body's actually trying to protect you. It's trying to do its job. But this is really confusing because many of these things we simply were not exposed to throughout our evolution. We didn't have Krispy Kremes, all right? You don't think about a caveman like sitting over his fire roasting kettle corn, right? You don't sit, think about him sitting over his fire and he's like passing around a bowl of Doritos and Cheetos mixed with Funyuns. Have you ever had that mix, right? That's a whole other level of snacking when you mix up the chips. Anyway, so, you know, we take these issues and we see commonly the side effect, you know, like I have this issue now, here's this drug. And I literally knew a guy that I worked with many years ago. He was on an antibiotic for psoriasis for over 20 years. That doesn't even make any sense. That should, that should be illegal to do that. And his gastrointestinal tract obviously was just demolished. And we got him onto a protocol and he was able to eventually get off of his medication for the first time in over 20 years and not have the issue come back. Because for him, as soon as he would stop taking the medication, the psoriasis would start to creep up and he hated it. He hated it. It was such a nuisance in his life. And so it was a whole new reality because we were addressing the underlying cause of the psoriasis. So that's some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. And we also make mention of something a lot of people have been asking me about. I've been getting uh, messages from every different channel. Sean, what the health? What the health? So this movie has become a bit of a phenomenon. And just to share this with you guys, you know, I watched movies that are similar and showing even the behind the scenes and uh, factory farming conditions and these kind of things literally over 10 years ago. This was when it was underground, all right? We didn't have Netflix. So he was like, you literally pass the tape around. You know, your friend gives you, have you seen this DVD? You know, it was like definitely more like the mixtape version of the big budget film that we see today, you know, much higher budget. And the production is incredible. And the mission is, it's altruistic and it's, and it's honorable to help people to be healthy. But the fear tactics and just some blatantly bad science that's included in the movie, I don't think that helps anybody to move our agenda towards health. We need to get a conversation going amongst all of us who are on a mission to be healthy and who are on a mission to have a healthier planet. Be it, you know, your paleo or vegan or vegetarian, Mediterranean diet, you know, you're just straight, you know, hunter-gatherer, whatever you're doing for us to get together and have a conversation because at the end of the day, this is about us being healthy and happy and sovereign as a people and getting out of this broken healthcare system. And there are things to be learned on all parts, all sides of this story. And so some of the information in there, when we talk about you know, diabetes not being caused by sugar. That's one of the physicians in the movie said that statement. And I just couldn't believe that this was allowed to be said and then put out to popular media because then you see individuals who are influencers, you know, maybe they're in the fitness space and they've got a million Instagram followers and they said, you know, I watched this movie and now I'm vegan and not really getting the full story. Because again, at the end of the day, it's about us having fair, balanced, factual information 
so that we can be empowered, not utilizing fear or extreme tactics and not even looking at the facts, you know, because you can do this yourself. You can literally uh, get yourself a blood glucose reader and then eat different foods and you can see what it does to your blood sugar. And to say that sugar isn't a huge causative factor in that is just blatantly wrong. But there are a lot of great points there in the film. So I'm not, this is not a bash against the film, but we need to understand that this is still an individual propaganda, right? This is still an individual's perspective and we need to get the whole story. And that's what this is about. That's what we do here on the Model Health Show. We're not withholding information. We're not saying this person's right, this person's wrong on any extremes because there's a lot of stuff in the middle there for us to talk about. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to ask Dr. William Davis what he has to say about it. And also, of course, talk about his new book, Undoctored, and all of the phenomenal information that's in there. And really quick, guys, one of the big issues that people have with getting into a healthier lifestyle is dealing with the costs of that associated lifestyle. You know, eating higher quality food, investing in organic foods, it tends to cost more. And it's unfortunate but we're also looking at an opportunity where we see economies of scale, you know, as more of these things are demanded, as more being produced the right way, prices go down. And we're seeing this for many products, right? We're seeing a big change happening. However, for a lot of people jumping into the game, it's still slow to happen. And also it's a big barrier of entry if we have to struggle to be able to afford things that are really great for us. And this is why I love Thrive Market. And I want you to go to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health so that you can get hooked up with the world leading market for premium, healthy and organic products. And these are things that I would buy from conventional grocery stores and from uh, natural food stores like Whole Foods and things like that. But many times at 25 to 50% off of what you would be paying at those stores. They've got organic, the very best names. By the way, they curate the foods that they have there. They do the investigation for you to get the very best companies. Organic, non-GMO products. They've got categories like vegan, gluten-free, paleo, sustainably farmed, etc. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. But again, 25 to 50% off. And I absolutely love them so much. They save us so much money. And I used to just be so mad at myself when I would have to go and buy a product in the store because I didn't order it on Thrive Market. And I was spending like an extra five, 10, sometimes $20 more for the same product. So you're going to get not just the 25 to 50% off, but when you go to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health, you're also getting 25% off your first purchase. So in addition to the money you're already saving, plus you're going to get a free 30-day trial at Thrive Market. All right, so we're talking about a major hookup here. So go to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health. And again, keep in mind, 25 to 50% off the retail prices already. Plus you get an extra 25% off your first purchase and 30-day free trial. And you're gonna wanna keep this. You're gonna wanna keep the membership because it's just going to keep paying you over and over again in money that you're saving, keeping in your own pocket. And plus they do a lot of good for the rest of us as well, for the planet and for people who are in need because every paid membership, they give away a free membership to either a teacher, a veteran, somebody who is at a lower income status who really could use this extra assistance. They're giving away a membership. So really good people, make sure to check them out. And also myself today, what I did 
Prior to coming in to record the show today, I had my favorite drink, my lion's mane tea. And this is from Four Sigmatic. And the University of Malaya confirmed that lion's mane, specifically lion's mane mushroom, has neuroregenerative and neuroprotective benefits. And it features a class of nerve growth factors, which are molecules that stimulate the differentiation and remyelination of neurons. So we're talking about laying down more myelin and protecting the myelin sheath and the myelin coating over your nerve cells. So literally, this is preventing Alzheimer's, preventing dementia. It has that kind of power. You don't hear many things like that when we're talking about even the very best foods. That's why I love Lion's Made. So for your brain, to show your brain some love, make sure to check out the Lion's Made. Head over to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model for 15% off all of their mushroom elixirs, mushroom coffees, mushroom hot chocolates. And again, I'm a big fan of the lion's mane. So check that one out. And on that note, let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled Great Show by Let's Be Forever. Hi, Sean. I just wanted to say how great it is to listen to your wealth of wisdom. I love the show and the content. I have lost 31 pounds since listening to your show. I have changed the way my family eats due to your guidance. Your knowledge has inspired me to question what I put in my body. Thanks for always being there and making me feel like I can do it. Thanks, Sean, from ATL. Ooh, what's up, ATL in the house. Thank you so much for leaving that review. That means so, so much to me. And uh, just thank you for making me a part of your world. That means a lot. And everybody, thank you for heading over to iTunes and leaving the reviews for the show. Please keep them coming if you've yet to do so. Make sure to pop over and do that right quick. I truly, truly do appreciate it. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. William Davis, MD, is a preventative cardiologist whose unique wheat grain-free approach to diet is advocated in the New York Times bestseller, Wheat Belly, Lose the Wheat, Lose the Weight and find your path back to health. Along with his series of associated cookbooks and blog, he's actively engaged in cultivating discussions about heart health, which have yielded solutions to a plethora of other diseases as well. And he lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but he went to medical school here in St. Louis, where I reside, which is a little cool intersection. And I'd like to welcome back to the Model Health Show, Dr. William Davis. How are you doing today? Hey, Sean, I'm doing terrific. So great to talk to you again. Uh, I don't. I didn't tell you this, but your last appearance on the show and talking about Wheat Belly was one of our most popular episodes. I think it had a couple thousand shares and then you know a couple hundred thousand listeners as well. So it was pretty. Well, it's nice to hear. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty big, pretty pretty big stuff. But you've got this new project, and wow, like this was very very sobering, even for myself to read this book, and it's called Undoctored, and I would love. Love, love, because this is controversial stuff, Bill. This is controversy. What inspired <laughs> sure. you to write this book? You know, Sean, it was part of the Wheat Belly experience that evolved over the six, seven years or so since the first book came out. It, uh, the first book talked about what agribusiness did to wheat. It turned it into this high-yield, semi-dwarf plant that's very, very different and had peculiar effects like causing appetite uh, to be stimulated. It became clear that we had to take more steps. So people did lose weight and have magnificent health transformation just by getting rid of wheat. But several things became clear. You got even bigger results by limiting all grains because there are shared characteristics among all grains, even oats, rice, and millet. 
it also became clear that there were persistent deficiencies, nutritional deficiencies that persisted even after you remove grains. Grains actually cause nutritional deficiencies. Sean, we're told we need them for uh, B vitamins and fiber. That's a complete fiction. Mm. In fact, grain consumption causes numerous nutritional deficiencies. Now, most of those just correct themselves when you eliminate grains, but some don't correct. For instance, magnesium deficiency is so profound yeah. in grain-consuming people, and it's taken out of our water by filtration, that you have to purposefully supplement magnesium. And there's some additional simple steps to address very common deficiencies that don't have anything to do with grains, like vitamin D, say, and iodine. And we also cultivate bowel flora, because that's a, a modern phenomenon. We've all screwed up our bowel flora, and that has a huge impact on health. So people start doing all these things, and going back to their doctors and saying, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to eliminate wheat and grains my diet, take vitamin D, <clears throat> etc. The doctor would say, well, that's stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> You're going to end up on cholesterol drugs. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have all, all these health problems. People still did it without the doctor. And they come back six months later, report to the doctor, I'm, I'm 47 pounds lighter. I stopped all my medications because my blood pressure was so low. I didn't need blood pressure medicines. I stopped my insulin, my diabetes drugs. My acid reflux went away. My IBS, my irritable bowel syndrome went away. My peculiar rash, eczema, psoriasis, seborrhea disappeared. My joint pain is much better. I stopped my anti-inflammatory drugs. My depression has lifted. On and on and on. Mm. And the doctor didn't understand why. What I saw, Sean, is that people were enjoying magnificent, magnificent health, far superior to what was, could be achieved by the doctor, the healthcare system, without the doctor. In spite of the doctor. In spite of the astounding ignorance of my colleagues when it comes to questions of health. Wow. This is already blowing my mind because you've got so many of the stories here in the book. And when we first talked, I was looking at the, it was insane how many before and after pictures people were sending into you. I even asked you about it. I was like, how are you getting all these people to, to, to do this? And it's just like, hey, they're just inspired, you know, and seeing all of these transformations take place. But then having them go and talk to their uh, primary care physician or whoever the case might be. And they're telling them about these changes and things that they've heard about and they want to make these changes. And they're telling them that's crazy. And basically what I'm hearing already in your reasoning for writing undoctored is to give people permission to actually take care of themselves. And uh, with that said, I'd love to kind of dive in and dissect a little bit deeper what some of the big issues are. You just mentioned that, you know, the physicians typically are like, that's stupid. Why would you even do that? What is the divide in understanding basic things about nutrition and overall wellness, just lifestyle practices, and our training as physicians? As you know, Sean, it's, it's widely known that if you want ignorance on nutrition, talk to a doctor. Mm. Because they're not educated, and sadly, rarely are they ever truly interested. Because, you know... We have this system now that has become so focused on revenues, building revenues. You know, you, you can't build a new $40 million cardiovascular wing or, or cancer center based on nutrition, right? right. <laughs> nutrition doesn't pay. Health doesn't pay. In fact, I say the enemy of the healthcare system is not sickness. The enemy of the healthcare system is well pe healthy people. Mm. Because if you're healthy, you are absolutely useless to the healthcare system. <laughs> Because they are all about dispensing drugs and procedures and applying medical devices and hospitalization. You know, we're talking about a lot of money, Sean, right? We're talking about 
tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars per person. And those costs are increasing at an even more rapid pace because now the drug industry and the direct-to-consumer drug ads and the what's called value pricing of specialty drugs is putting a lot of these drugs in the 3000 to 10000 to $20,000 a month range. So there's a very a vigorous attempt to build revenues for the healthcare system. So the doctor is no longer the advocate of health. He's the advocate of the healthcare system. And that's a very, very different thing. You know, and so everybody, we're talking with somebody who went to a traditional university uh, for their, their medical degree. And can you share how much training on nutrition you got in college? Uh, next to nothing. Some of it came through biochemistry, but the actual discussions about nutrition were very meager. It amounted to a few hours. Now, the problem is, of course, even if there was more, uh, and that's that, that trend is slowly developing, the problem is education, and we see this in the dietitians. Education is largely paid for by Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Kellogg's, General Mills, and Nabisco, big food. And if you go to any of the meetings for nutrition, like the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics or American Heart Association, any of these agencies, you'll see the overwhelming presence of commercial interests, of industry, big food, as well as big pharma and the medical device industry. So we have this system where many of the agencies have been corrupted by their desires for greater donations. And we're not talking about a few thousand. We're talking about millions and tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars that line the the uh, wallets of these agencies. And so we, I, I think it's, it's a cynical view, Sean, but I think we simply can't trust them anymore. We can't trust those agencies to give us objective, unbiased advice that empowers us in health. That's why what you're doing, this conversation we have and similar conversations <clears throat> are so critical because here's another phenomenon. Direct consumer drug ads so dominate now network and cable TV that if you watch TV, watch the news, you'll see almost no reporting of problems in healthcare. Healthcare is a huge problem, yet there's almost no reporting. There's conversations about healthcare politics, but not actual problems in healthcare. So that's why what you're doing is so critical, so that people hear what's really going on. Because you and I don't have a two billion dollar marketing budget to drown out big pharma and healthcare. So we've got to do it this way. Absolutely, and I can just piggyback on that because when I was in college and, you know, taking a, a pre-med track, it was totally, it was an elective to take nutrition. And eventually I found out that the nutrition program was funded by General Mills. So I'm just, and this is just basic thinking. Do you think they're going to recommend to not eat cereal? The, you know, it's just, it's common sense, you know? And so they're of course telling us to recommend seven to 11 servings of grains for everybody to be healthy. And even just looking at my professor, he was radically unhealthy. And it's not that he wasn't doing what he believed in or that he was teaching. The problem was he was doing what he was teaching and he was getting these <laughs> results and he's so dogmatic about it. He wasn't doing anything to change it. So, and I want, of course, people to go back and we'll put the, uh, your, your first interview in the show notes, but can we talk a little bit about why that whole paradigm of recommending seven to 11 servings of grains, whole grains each day can be a big potential pitfall for folks. Yeah, lots and lots of issues. Uh, grains have always been, grains are seeds of grass, as you may know, Sean. That's what grains are. And humans are simply ill-equipped to consume grasses. And that's why when you cut your lawn in the summertime, you don't save the clippings and toss on top of a salad. Yeah. If you did, 
you'd get quite sick, you'd have diarrhea and abdominal pain, and the grass would come out in the toilet intact, completely undigested. Well, that's true of the blades and the leaves. It's also true of any other component like the seeds. So you have to put the, the, the seeds of grasses through some extreme manipulations in order to make it uh, ingestible, but never digestible. And that, that, that important principle underlies the explanation for why grains are so harmful to people, because the proteins are either indigestible or only partly digestible. So, for instance, the gliadin protein. People call it gluten, but it's actually gliadin that's within gluten that has a lot of these ill effects. It uh, can only be broken down to pieces, peptides. If I eat an egg or a piece of steak, I break those proteins down into single amino acids. That's how proteins are meant to be digested. But the gliadin protein of wheat is broken down to small pieces, four or five amino acids long. And these have unique properties. Some of them are inflammatory properties. Some trigger inflammation like autoimmune diseases. Some trigger uh, the brain to drive appetite and behavioral changes. So it's, 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 it's a reflection of how weird it is for humans to try to consume seeds of grasses. Mm. Oddly, when agribusiness got into the act, in the 1960s, 1970s, they amplified many of these facts. They didn't do it because they're evil. I think they are evil, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> they did it for their own purposes, like yeah. resistance to pests. So there's another compound in, in wheat and grains called wheat germaglutinin. It sounds like gluten, but it's unrelated. And this is completely impervious to human digestion. It goes in intact in the mouth. It comes out in the toilet intact. But its course from mouth to toilet... It is highly toxic to the gastrointestinal tract. A little bit gets absorbed into the bloodstream. That's why some people have antibodies to weak germaglutinin. And when it gets into the bloodstream, it is extremely inflammatory and it also causes blood clotting. That's why it's called agglutinin because it means it agglutinates or clots red blood cells. Those are just two components of grains that are very harmful to people. So grains have always been problematic for humans, but agribusiness got into the act and made it worse. Mm. So even hearing about the kind of manipulation of the plant, not necessarily to hurt people, but the side effects that happen. Um, but for a lot of people, they're hearing this is just like, well, people have been eating bread for thousands of years. What is the, what is the argument there? Like, how can you even defend the fact that we're not designed to eat this yet? You know, we've been eating this for so long. So humans have walked the earth for 2.5 million years. We added grains 10 or 12,000 years ago. In other words, we added grains very recently. Less than one half of 1% of our time on earth have we consumed grains. So here's interesting. You know, you know who knows a lot about uh, nutrition and grains? Anthropologists. Mm. These people have known for 30, 40 years uh, and they tell us that when the first humans began to consume grains, that is, uh, grains such as einkorn wheat, that's the ancestral form of wheat that grows wild in the Middle East even today, when humans first turned to seeds of grasses from einkorn wheat, there was an explosion in tooth decay. So, interestingly, Sean, prior to grain consumption, tooth decay was almost unknown in humans. Hmm. One to three percent of all teeth recovered prior to grain consumption, showed decay or abscess formation or misalignment. Um, so, and think of it, these people did not have toothpaste, toothbrushes, fluoridated toothpaste, dental floss, dentists, right. orthodontists, yet they had nearly perfect teeth, even in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And as you like to know, people in those age did survive that age. There was a lot of child and infant uh, death, but 
Once you live past the age 20 or 30, you're likely to reach old age. And even older people had full mouths of teeth. When we added grains to the diet, tooth decay jumped from 1 to 3% of all teeth to 16 to 49% of all teeth showing decay, misalignment, tooth abscess, etc. There was also a doubling of knee arthritis. So grain consumption causes uh, bone diseases. There was also evidence for iron deficiency. The anthropologists call it parotid hyperostosis. It's, it's a reflection of the bone marrow growing out of control to produce blood um, to compensate for the lack of iron. Because when you eat the phytates, yet another component that's indigestible of grains, it blocks 90% of iron absorption. That's why iron deficiency is very common in grain-consuming people. Mm. So why then does grain, specifically wheat, tend to target joints and bones? Because really, even with our teeth, these are just, in a weird way, bones that you can see. So what's going on there? It's, with teeth, it's likely the amylopectins. So the amylopectins are the exception to the rule that most of the problems from grains come from the proteins. Because amylopectin A is the carbohydrate, the complex carbohydrate. As you know, dietitians and nutritionists told us that complex carbohydrates are better than simple sugars. Well, that's not true. The amylopectin A complex carbohydrate raises blood sugar higher than table sugar. And that's because the amylopectin A is uniquely, de- so unlike the proteins of grains, the amylopectin A is highly digestible because it's broken down by the enzyme amylase that's in your saliva and stomach. And it raises blood sugar almost immediately to very high levels. So it those sugars in the mouth cause a change in, in the uh, microbial species, the bacterial species in your mouth, and it favors uh, the species that cause cavities and decay. So there's more to it than that because no, nobody knows why grain-consuming people also developed tooth misalignment yeah. and shrinkage of the facial bones. So that's not quite clear whether that is a change in oral flora or some other component. That's not been worked out. But that, at the very least, we know the amylopectin A that yields sugar in the, in the mouth causes tooth rot. And we've seen this over and over. You know, primitive tribes around the world who didn't eat grains, who just hunted and fished and gathered roots and ate berries, etc., and thereby had some sugars from fruits, <clears throat> still don't have much tooth decay. But when they were when they bartered or traded with, with modern people for grains, they too developed explosive tooth decay, so much so that the number one cause for suicide in primitive cultures is now tooth abscess. Mm, wow. In cultures that had almost no tooth decay, when they eat our food, they develop explosive tooth decay so much that they kill themselves because abscesses are very, very painful. They often erode, make holes in the face, the surface. Very, very painful stuff. This is all from grains and to a degree also sugars. Wow. <clears throat> that, well, that's the feel-bad story of the day right there. <laughs> so, you know, just kind of shifting gears a little bit. Uh, well, actually, let me make one more point for everybody. Uh, if you think about that timeline of how long grains have been in our diet, that this is really the, the birthing of, of agriculture and the evolution that have, has taken place since then. And we see smaller structure. We see, um, you know, indigenous cultures who don't include these uh, grains. They're more robust and just healthy and uh, more muscular. They tend to be, you know, again, uh, bigger frame. And so this has had a big impact on, and this is stuff we're still figuring out. And, and Dr. Davis is kind of at the leading front of this. 
in influencing what's happening with our kind of epigenetic triggers and seeing us basically printing out worse copies of ourselves in a way. And that can happen still on a small scale just in your individual life right now, not to mention what can happen with our generations to come if we continue down this path. So with that said, why then would <laughs> an organization, let's talk about, and I, I went to the grocery store the other day specifically looking for this because I was like, I know, I know I didn't just see this in my mind so many times. I would see that heart healthy checkmark box on boxes of cereal, you know, like on Honey Nut Cheerios, for example. And I went to the store and they're no longer on a lot of them, right? But why were they there? How is that even possible knowing what we know already? Just a small little nugget that you shared about some of the dangerous impact of eating conventional grains. Why would they be putting that on boxes of cereal? They fell for the, the bad science that showed if you replace something bad, white flour products, with something less bad, whole grains, and there's an apparent health benefit. And there is, Sean. There is less type 2 diabetes. There's less weight gain. There's less <clears throat> uh, heart disease and less colon cancer. That's true. And so the conclusion drawn by the American Heart Association and other agencies is that a whole bunch of the less bad thing must therefore be good. Mm. Uh, so I liken that to saying, what if I replace something bad, like unfiltered cigarettes, with something less bad, filtered low-tar cigarettes, and there's, let's say there's an apparent slight benefit reduction of uh, lung cancer and heart disease, should we conclude by that logic that smoking a lot of filtered low-tar cigarettes therefore good for health? Mm. It's, it sounds silly when you, when you make that analogy, but that's exactly what they did. What they didn't do is ask, well, what happens when we eliminate grains? And those studies have been done, Sean. There's plenty of studies that show that when you eliminate grains, you have extravagant health benefits, such as uh, allowing many type 2 diabetics to become non-diabetic, to drop their hemoglobin A1C, to cause weight loss, to cause remission of rheumatoid arthritis, and on and on and on. So that bad epidemiological observational data that came from studies like the Nurses' Health Study and the Physicians' Health Study, that's all they did. They just showed that grains, whole grains, are less harmful than white flour. And yet that has served as the basis for all conventional dietary advice. Yeah. And I know firsthand that was my thing. I went from uh, pasta house, olive garden pasta to my whole wheat, terrible <laughs> pasta. You know, it's whole wheat, everything. Just, you know, I went totally down that path and I saw improvements in my health, but I was still dealing with allergies, asthma symptoms, pain, these small things that, you know, we kind of accept as normal, but they're not. You know, these are signs from your body that something is not right here. But we also believe because of we're just in uh, just we're really inundated with this belief that if I have this thing for whatever reason, that it's permanent. Like I have diabetes. I have asthma. It's who I am. It's this identity that we carry that, you know, if I get this kind of bill of goods, this quote diagnosis that it's just the end of the road for me. You know, I have this illness and getting properly educated. And you've seen this countless times in your practice now and seeing people be able to, you know, get off metformin and, and, and have their insulin lowered and, and reverse diabetes, you know, but we still see a situation where, you know, the, the ADA, you know, the American Diabetes Association really sponsoring uh, and, and dealing with lobbying and all. Let's talk about that. I see you nodding your head. Let's talk about how lobbyists and money gets involved in this whole situation. At so many levels, Sean. So as you know, agencies like the American Diabetes Association uh, boast about the very generous support they get from diabetes drug manufacturers. So obviously the message they, they spread is friendly 
to diabetes drug manufacturers. And as you know, type 2 diabetes is epidemic. It's growing at double-digit rates, and it is yielding extraordinary profits. And so diabetes, type 2 diabetes, is big business. And that's why when you turn TV on, watch the news, every other commercial is, is a drug, and many of them are these new diabetes drugs. Being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes adds $10,000 a year to your medical bills just for diabetes. So it's, it's highly profitable. So that's why I say – now, here's a little trick. You know the glucose meter that doctors tell you to use if you have type 2 diabetes to check your blood sugar? Right. They tell you things like check your blood sugar prior to a meal and then two hours later to make sure that your insulin or oral drugs or injectable drugs – are dropping your blood sugar back to baseline. What the doctor didn't tell you is you tweak those rules just a little bit, Sean. Check a blood sugar prior to the meal, and then not two hours later, but 30 to 60 minutes after you start eating, that captures the peak blood sugar. Hmm. And if you see any rise, change your diet. Uh, Eliminate the food that caused that rise. It'll be a carbohydrate, of course. Cut the portion size or eliminate it. And don't allow any rise in blood sugar. Do that, and type 2 diabetics become non-diabetic extremely rapidly, so much so they have to slash their medicines dramatically even on the first day. We often, when we do this, we have to tell people to cut their insulin, for instance, by 50% just in the first 24 hours because we don't want anybody to have hypoglycemia, which happens on drugs when you become less diabetic. But why didn't the doctor tell you that? Why didn't the doctor say, hey, John, let me tell you how to use your glucose meter to become non-diabetic and accelerate weight loss too, by the way, Sean. It's a magnificently effective way to lose weight. So we have this system hell-bent on giving you drugs, loading you up in these very costly agents, and lining you up for imaging procedures and therapeutic surgeries and those kinds of things. But no one bothered to tell you how to get healthy in the first place. That's really the big break in information and why I'm so excited about this This book is, I mean, guys, you got to make sure to check out Undoctored because the statistics in here are going to blow your mind. And of course, his writing style is just awesome. Uh, A lot of great insights in in this book. And one of them is the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, right? So this is where when you see a dietitian, right, somebody, and I remember, you know, many years ago, uh, my mother was in the cardiac area of the hospital. This was maybe like 12 years ago. And I see the person coming in, giving her her food. And, you know, she was ridiculously overweight. And they were even more overweight than she was in telling her what she needs to eat, right? And again, it's not that people that, you know, when we're dealing, and I've been overweight myself, when we're dealing with that, that we can't be helpful, that we can't be uh, altruistic and, and help people. But the symptoms don't lie. Like, it's a, it's a side effect of something. And if we're trying and it's not working, we need to really be honest about the situation. And so, so she's in this cardiac area of the hospital and she's supposed to get this nutrition training. And of course they're telling her to eat whole grains. They're giving her this pasteurized apple juice, you know, and it was just really shocking to me to see the situation. And ultimately, you know, we got her out of there and, and nursed her back to health. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still up to the person, whether it's my mom or your mom or your significant other, or specifically yourself. And what you're talking about here in the book, when you talk about the American nutrition and dietetics, here's something you say, state in the book, any and all foods fit into the, and, and their acronym is and, uh, notion of healthy eating. And these include foods from their sponsors. So here's who sponsors the, Ameri- the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, 
Unilever, Believe It's Not Butter, uh, Corn Refiners Association. Come on, guys. (laughs) High Fructose Corn Syrup sponsors their advice, you know? And then again, we get to this conversation of everything in moderation. What do you say when people tell you that, like everything in moderation? I tell them that moderation kills because uh, moderate consumption of things that don't have any role, should not have any role in the human diet, can trigger things like rheumatoid arthritis and cerebellar degeneration and dementia and cancer and heart disease and all kinds of other conditions. And so moder- it, that can be true when it comes to certain kinds of foods, but just as moderation in arsenic is not a good idea, moderation with grains and some other uh, adverse components of diet is not a good idea. Yeah. You know, and it's right here in black and white, guys. The recommendations that we're getting when we go to a traditional university, things are changing, though. It's it's slow. It's process is slow, but things are changing. But you're getting this type of advice that's funded. Literally, there's money being put into the pockets of these organizations to promote this type of of eating. And whether the, it's a good person or not, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. If you get taught the wrong thing, you're going to be great at teaching the wrong thing. And this is why this book is so important, because he's talking about stepping out of that system, because it's a failing system. It's, it's failed long ago and becoming, quote, undoctored. And this doesn't mean that you don't have a primary care physician or that you work with great people out there. But what is the real role? And I, I want to kind of clarify this and help to change people's paradigm. What, what should be the real role of our physician? The doctor should be, like we used to think in the old days, a healer. Someone who takes a look at you and tries to identify the things that would allow disease, like vitamin D deficiency and unhealthy habits, and try to help you not have health conditions. It's actually very, very easy, Sean, to not have type 2 diabetes. It's very easy to not have most autoimmune diseases. It's very easy to be slender. It's ve- These things are so easy, but the doctor is so trapped in the wrong health advice, the wrong dietary advice, uh, and this model where they uh, want to drive more revenue. You know, in Milwaukee, uh, you know, a lot of doctors are my friends still. They, they know the things, nasty things I say about them, but they still remain friends. But they tell me they're all employees. Virtually all of them are employees of healthcare systems, and they're told, doctor, the more revenues you drive for the system, the larger your end of quarter bonus. So you go into the ER or the doctor's office or the hospital with, let's say, shoulder pain from gardening. Next thing you know, you get a heart catheterization, a stress nuclear study, electrophysiologic study, an MRI, a neurology consult, and you walk out uh, with a $130,000 hospital bill. It sounds ridiculous, but I've seen it happen countless times. Yeah. It drives revenues, and now the doctor has – he's been incentivized to drive revenues. This is like – just so overwhelming, actually, you know, when you look at some of the statistics in the book and just to look at the numbers, just the sheer amount of people who are going through this stuff, even the markup on drugs that you mentioned before, like there, there's some drugs that are like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for a pill and the resource to make that pill isn't that much and there's not a lack. So we've got that. We've also, when we talk about stents, can you talk a little bit about that and why there's a vested interest for physicians to do more surgeries, even if they're not warranted? You know, I, I put in thousands and thousands of stents in my days as an interventional cardiologist. I can tell you, Sean, it pays very well. And the more you did, the better the hospital treated you, the better the stent manufacturer sales reps treated you, the more they courted you and took you out to dinner and paid vacation. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very nice kind of living 
except it's not necessary in the vast majority of instances. If, if you have a doctor that's paid several thousand dollars every time they do something, they want to do more of it. And, you know, if you have an ophthalmologist who gets $2,000 every time he makes an injection of ineffective growth uh, factors into people's eyes for macular degeneration, uh, he's not going to stop and start counseling people on how to have good eye health by taking, say, carotenoid supplements. He's just going to inject them in the eye, ka-ching, charges 2000 bucks for that interaction that took him three minutes, go to the next patient. And that is the cocaine that a lot of my colleagues have. That's why gastroenterologists, for instance, no longer counsel people on how to have great gastrointestinal health. All they want to do is scope people, endoscopy, colonoscopy, because that's how they – so I know gastroenterologists who line up 12, 14, 18 people a day oh, wow. because they ka-ching, just charge it up, and they can't stop, Sean, because it pays so well. So if the doctors aren't dispensing health, the nurses aren't, of course, the hospitals are not, the drug industry certainly is not, the medical device industry is not, it falls to you and me and your listeners – your viewers, to do this on our own. But the, the wonderful thing in, in all this negativity what I've been talking about <laughs> is the, the message that people can achieve spectacular health far better. The health you get from the doctor involves statin drugs, right? Blood pressure drugs and diabetes drugs and antidepressants and acid-blocking drugs. The health you and I get comes from taking away the things that cause disease, correcting common nutritional deficiencies that allow disease to emerge. And now you have people who look younger, feel better, are functioning at higher levels. Women get back into their size for dresses. Guys have 31-inch waists. I mean, we get back to the way life was supposed to be without a big, long list of medications. But the doctor will not get it. He'll say something idiotic. Like, uh, just keep on doing what you're doing. What the doctor should say, Sean, is, what is it you did? Tell me. I, I, I need to understand this yeah. because maybe I, I'm going to learn something. But as you know, it's a rare physician who wants to learn from his patients. And so they give you that slap uh, 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 or they'll make fun of what you, what you did or just say, you know, do what you're doing. Exactly. And I share my story many times. Those are the exact words that I heard. I was diagnosed at 20 years old with uh, degenerative disc disease, right? Degenerative spinal disease. And two and a half years later, when I completely reversed the issue and my two herniated discs had retracted on their own, my physician was just standing there looking at the MRI, like rubbing his chin. He's like, you know, what did, what did you do? And I told him, he's like, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. It's like what I told him didn't even make the record, you know? And so that's when I, you know, fired my doctor and at the, at the same time, this is something I want to encourage everybody to, to understand is that your physician should have the same goal as you. So if your goal is to be drug free, if your goal is to be off medication for diabetes, I'm not saying it's a 100% possible, but if the person working with you does not have the same objective as you, you need to find another person to work with. And it's really as simple as that. And plus what Dr. Davis is sharing here, and I want to talk about this, why it's easier than ever for us to really be true sovereign owners of our own health and well-being. Let's talk about the drastic change just in access to information, say from today versus like 1960. Oh, Sean, you're absolutely right. Our access to information has improved so much. Imagine life without smartphone, computer, internet, the social media. I mean, we have to do it the old-fashioned way, rely on the newspaper, mm -hmm. the evening news, uh, word of mouth, 
And this kind of interaction we're having now was unheard of even just a few years ago. So we're taking advantage of collective knowledge. And that's why it's so tragic that the doctor didn't say, Sean, what did you do? Tell, tell me again. And okay, I'm going to have to investigate this. And maybe I'll start to see if other people have had success. So we are putting collective knowledge experience because you bring insights, experience, knowledge that I don't have. I bring insights, uh, uh, knowledge uh, uh, that you don't have and other people don't have. But we put all, put dozens, hundreds, thousands of people together, yeah. all focused on solving a question, answering a question, solving a problem. You start. You may not get the right answer right away, but you incrementally approach better and better and better answers. Now, we could call it social media. We could call it websites like patientslikeme.com or what I'm trying to do on my undoctored websites. We're trying to get that collective wisdom and solve problems. And you know what, Sean? It's working. It absolutely more and more. is. Every day. Yeah, every day. We all le- I learn something new every day from the experiences of people. And if you see something work, let's try it again. Let's talk about other people. Other people give it a try. And they share their experience. So it is an unprecedented opportunity to take control over information and your health. And I'm so optimistic that we can – and here, here, one of my long-term projects, Sean, is to somehow craft a method for you, me, your viewers to opt out of conventional health care and conventional health care insurance. You know, if you and I have magnificent health and our families do likewise, we're not going to get a call from the health insurer saying, uh, Mr. Stevenson, you know what? We, we recognize that you don't use the health care system like other people. Your family is not on prescription medications and you're incurring almost no costs. We therefore are going to reduce your health care insurance premium from $1,400 a month to $200. You will never get that call. <laughs> So in other words, you are expected to subsidize the poor health of other people and to pay for, for instance, the $84,000 for that one vial of 120 tablets for Harvoni for hepatitis C. Even though you don't take it, you have to subsidize those kinds of costs on other people. Well, I say, what about us who are empowered and make the effort to educate ourselves and take back control of our health? I don't think we need to subsidize other people who remain ignorant or don't know about these kinds of things. I think we should take control and wouldn't it be great if I could say to you, your health care insurance is going to be $200 or $300 or whatever because you're healthy. We may track you and make sure you stay healthy, but uh, I'd like to see that happen. It's a long-term uh, uh, goal of mine. My mind is blown. I never thought about that. I never even considered that because, you know, uh, I, have, I have kids as well, you know, and all the stuff that they got to go through with school and things like that and you know, uh, physicals and all of this stuff, you know, even little checkups, you know, d- dental, this kind of stuff. We pay a lot of money, but we don't really use the system, you know, and I never thought about that before. Profound. Um, community. You mentioned basically, you know, there's this compilation of so much information from all of these different perspectives and experiences. Let's talk a little bit about that and what we have access to today with community and collaboration because there's like forums, for example, everything under the sun you could you could name. Exactly. Forums for discussion of specific topics of interest. So if you have, say, lupus, you can join a lupus forum. And what's happening, Sean, is you'll see hundreds to thousands of people sharing their experience. And they're starting to teach their doctors 
about what works and what doesn't. Now, forums are just kind of on-the-fly conversations. We're, at, we're still in the infancy for these kinds of things, but there are also websites, services, that are collecting experiences, uh, like patientslikeme.com, which was uh, a website started by two brothers who had a third brother who was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, and he has since has passed. But they saw how helpless and hopeless it seemed to be. So they created this website called patientslikeme.com for neurodegenerative diseases, like Lou Gehrig's disease and Parkinsonism, etc. And people start tracking their experience, and they're starting to derive unique lessons because people, when you have thousands of people all asking similar questions, you're sharing your experience, you learn all kinds of unexpected things. And uh, uh, some are even publishing their data. And so we have a, a, pro a data collection project also because we want to prove that if you engage in just a handful of simple strategies, including such things as elimination of all grains and vitamin D, for instance, and a handful of others, that you achieve magnificent health. We want to prove this on a large scale in thousands, tens of thousands of people. So that I can eventually say, say to your health care insurance, I say, Mr. Stevenson is in magnificent health, as is his family. They take no prescription drugs. They don't use the health care system. We think we need lower. If they won't do it, we'll try to do, devise some means, maybe a health co-op, an insurance co-op, or some kind of mechanism like that, so we can opt out of conventional health care and health care insurance. It'd be also instructive for you to know, you and me to know, that if you do need a doctor, let's say you want a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level because you want to track your vitamin D status, it would help to have your insurance pay for it, therefore, ha therefore it has to be ordered by a doctor in most states. Well, what if you knew of a doctor who would say, oh, of course, John, let's, let's do that. Let's check your vitamin D. And while we're at it, let's check some other basic things to make sure everything is on track for health. Not let's check your cholesterol, see if you need a statin drug. Okay. Let's do a colonoscopy, see if you need colon surgery. What if the doctor actually, well, I'd like to also craft a means for people to identify doctors, naturopaths, integrative health practitioners, functional medicine doctors, chiropractors, etc., who actually engage in dispensing health. Mm, yes. And there are some resources now that are starting to pop up, some databases. And uh, I'll put a few links in the show notes for you guys to find a practitioner in your area if you're looking for one. But I'd love to talk about something really practical for folks, because in the book, you talked about uh, when we talk about weight, you know, and this is a big issue in our in our world today, obviously. But you say in the book that excess weight is not just a cosmetic issue, but a sign of something deeper effectively. And in the book, you have a little section where you're talking about breaking weight loss plateaus. So what are some tangible things that we can do to kind of break through if we're trying to lose weight, or maybe we hit a wall? What are some of the things that we can do to, to kind of push the needle in the right direction? Well, first of all, Sean, always return to the basics, no wheat, no grains, because of that appetite stimulating effect. There's an effect I call, and this makes some people mad, but let me explain. I call it the I ate one cookie and, lost, and gained 30 pounds. Mm. Nobody, of course, gains 30 pounds from eating one cookie, the calories or sugars in one cookie or the grains. What it does is it re-triggers extravagant, uncontrollable appetite. So one uh, re-exposure to grains, I've seen this happen many, many times, and you can't stop eating, and you gain 20 or 30 pounds over the course of a month. So um, uh, getting rid of that effect is very important. So even an occasional grain indulgence is sufficient to amplify appetite. So make sure you stick to the basics. At 100% elimination of all wheat and, and grains, we, we cap our carb intake. We, we go no higher than 15 grams net carbohydrates per meal. Net carbohydrates meaning total carbohydrates minus fiber. 
And that also accelerates weight loss. Now, what if you did this and you still encounter a weight loss plateau where you don't lose weight? There's a whole list of things to consider. Like thyroid dysfunction, Sean, is so common. It's And it's so underdiagnosed. We, whether we like it or not, we live in an era where industrial compounds love the thyroid gland. It could be the perchlorates, uh, a, a toxic chemicals. It could be perfluorooctanoic acid from Teflon. It could be the, the triclosan and hand sanitizer and antibacterial soap. These all affect your thyroid, as do grains, by the way. About half of Hashimoto's thyroiditis is initiated by the gliadin protein of wheat. And so uh, stick to a net carb limitation. Uh, look for thyroid dysfunction. So, so darn common. Uh, you're, in, you're in Missouri, in St. Louis. So just like where I am in Wisconsin, iodine deficiency is becoming rampant. About 20% of people now have iodine deficiency. Some even have goiters or enlarged thyroid glands from lack of iodine. And if you have a goiter and or iodine deficiency, you will not lose weight. Uh, and we, we're more prone to it in, these, in the Midwest because uh, all the iodine on Earth is in the ocean. And only some of it seeps into the soil. We're too far inland for ocean iodine to seep into the soil. So making sure your iodine status is, is, is corrected. Make sure your thyroid is good. Um, uh, engaging in a period of ketosis. It's a very, very effective way. I don't believe that people should be ketotic all the time. Mm-hmm. That's another discussion for another time. But I think occasional ketosis is easy to achieve and does amplify uh, weight loss and or break a weight loss, weight loss plateau. Intermittent fasting related to ketosis is a, is a great technique. And it becomes very easy shown when you're grain-free because you don't have that glide-and-drive opioid effect that drives appetite. And most of us can coast through a period of fasting, you know, 18 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, almost without blinking an eye. It's easy. You know, since I've got you here and you actually wrote this book that is, you know, there's some controversy in it. I've got to ask you about this. And um, and I know you're like, what is he going to ask me? But one of, the, one of the helpful pieces in breaking through weight loss plateau that you talk about in the book is increasing your fats and oils. And, you know, there's a big movie out. It's a phenomenon in a way. Uh, what the health? And in the movie, a physician specifically, and I just couldn't take it after that. Uh, a physician sat there on camera and said that diabetes is not caused by sugar intake. It's caused by fat. Right? So, please, if th- it's controversial already, what do you have to say about that? What he's referring to is that people who have higher fat intake have higher levels of something called lipopolysaccharide, LPS. And all LPS is, it's a byproduct of what are called gram-negative organisms in your colon. And that's true. If you consume a lot of fats, the level of LPS goes up in your bloodstream, and it's inflammatory. And inflammation, of course, is one of the factors that drives diabetes. What he's neglecting, and this is not just this doctor, it's true of of many conversations in in health, is that he's neglecting bowel flora. He's neglecting the fact that modern people, virtually every one of us, have some measure of disrupted bowel flora, dysbiosis, or even what's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, where the organisms that are supposed to be only in your colon have ascended all the way up through 20-some feet of intestine up to the stomach, which is very common, by the way. We're seeing a ton of this. So if I give somebody who has disrupted bowel flora a uh, high-fat diet, their level of LPS can go up, and you can. some people have some problems with that. 
So part of the equation in recovering health is to cultivate healthy bowel flora. And that's one of the things we do. We do that by taking a high-potency multi-species probiotic just for a few weeks and also taking prebiotic fibers that nourish healthy microorganisms. And LPS does not go up. You encourage species like bifidobacteria, for instance, and LPS does not go up. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Do, do they take on these easy measures that are wonderful, easy, and essentially free? And, you know, I was type 2 diabetic 25 years ago when I became vegetarian and took out all the fats and uh, this was because I, I heard Dean Ornish talk. Mm-hmm. I took out all the fats, all the meats, added oils. I ate only whole grains and only whole grains, not white flour, whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. And I jogged five to eight miles a day. And I became a type 2 diabetic. I, I'm no longer a type 2 diabetic. I have perfect blood sugars on no drugs. But just by eating no grains or sugars, correcting vitamin D deficiency, taking magnesium, fish oil, iodine, getting my thyroid in order, and cultivating bowel flora. So a lot of those arguments are coming from the people who have not incorporated some of the newer science, like the microbiome. Yeah. I love this. And, you know, I, I wanted to add this in here. So many people have asked me about the movie uh, over the last uh, couple of months or so. And it's a really well-done film. You know, the, the, the production value is amazing and the intention is great. But I don't particularly, and this is kind of counterculture to myself personally, the fear tactics and and utilizing such extreme tendencies or extreme uh, explanations on why certain things happen. You know, if you just do this, then this is going to happen. When there's so much gray area, if we can all get together and have a great conversation and be able to pull the things that function uh, well for human health and that work for all of us, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. You know, there's some universal principles, but there are also things that are specific to us. So we don't want to be so black and white and saying this thing is bad for you, this thing is good for you, when there's a lot of gray area that there to talk about. And maybe there's even 50 shades of gray, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> so here's the deal. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, uh, it's just about getting information, getting educated. And the last little part that I, w- I want you to talk about before we wrap up here is he also said that sugar doesn't cause diabetes. Sugar doesn't, it's not the big player in this. So... Can you clear up, clear this up? Like, how does sugar influence diabetes? Or is he right? You know, it's so colossally stupid to say that. It would be on a par with saying things like, you know, smoking cigarettes is good for lung health. Yeah. It's so flagrantly. All you have to do is try it yourself. Get a finger stick glucose meter. And, you know, you can even get one now. It's called a Dario device that plugs into your smartphone. You can carry around with your, with your phone. And check your blood sugars after you eat, let's say, uh, meat, a fatty cut of meat, versus, say, a piece of apple pie or maybe a 20-ounce Coca-Cola. Check your blood sugar. And do that repeatedly. Watch the fasting blood sugar start to go up. Watch your after-consumption blood sugar start to climb. It will not do that with consuming such things as a pork chop. Prove it to yourself. And you'll see that there are dramatic differences. Uh, for instance, oatmeal. Eat a, eat a bowl of organic oatmeal and watch your blood sugars go sky high. A diabetic can have a blood sugar go from 100 <clears throat> to 350 to 500 after a bowl of unsweetened organic stone ground oatmeal. So prove it to yourself. What causes diabetic blood sugars? It's very easy to do. Wow. There you have it. There you have it. <sighs> Dr. Davis, if you could, before I let you go, 
What is the big mission with Undoctored? You know, what are some action steps that we can all take today to be able to really embody and, and take advantage of this cutting edge, cutting edge information that you're sharing for everybody? You know, Sean, I think it helps for people to know that they can be healthy again. But it won't come from the doctor. It comes from these kinds, like what you and I are doing now, these kinds of collective, uh, 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 these kinds of conversations and sharing of collective wisdom. So know that there are tools out there that can help restore magnificent health, but it comes from your own individual efforts, not the doctor. There you have it, guys. Can you let everybody know where they can pick up the book and where they can connect with you online? Sure. The, the book is available anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the major bookstores. Uh, I cultivate a lot of these conversations in the Wheat Belly, I, I'm sorry, on the undoctored uh, social media like Wheat Belly. <laughs> I got Wheat Belly in mind. Undoctored Facebook page, as well as the Wheat Belly Facebook page. The Wheat Belly social media uh, 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 still contains a lot of these conversations, but in Doctor, we take it a little further, like that, like talking about how you use blood sugars to get rid of diabetes. Um, there's an undoctored blog. There's an undoctored inner circle. That's a paid membership site for people who really want to dive in deep and uh, interact face-to-face. We have a virtual meetup where we actually meet online in a group uh, once a week or more. So, uh, it just But if you just Google undoctored or even Wheat Belt, you come across all the wonderful stuff online about this program. Dr. Davis, thank you for having the courage and the audacity to write this book and to do the work that you're doing. I know that you know sometimes when you're up there, and you're, and you're leading a mission like this, you can get a lot of arrows shot at you. And thank goodness that you, I guess maybe it's like hunger, I'm thinking about Hunger Games right now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the armor on to be able to defend this stuff and you creating so many health warriors who are on this path with you and uh, becoming undoctored and to really regain their own health and well-being. And I just really am grateful for you. So thank you. Oh, thanks for saying so, Sean. You keep up your terrific work too. Absolutely. Thank you. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Wow. If you didn't get some of the big aha moments from this and how our healthcare system is not really a healthcare system, it's more of a disease care system. And there's no money to be made if you're healthy. There's no money to be made if you're fit. And so it's just a system that's set up on the farming of sick people. And we have the opportunity to decide whether or not we're going to be a part of it. And again, it's not that uh, medical schools and doctors and this whole uh, paradigm of careers, it's a bad thing. It's just there's a lot of bad science. And things are changing. That's good news. But the best news is that right now, you can be proactive in working with folks who, again, are on the same mission as you. So working with a functional physician or um, a physician who's more naturopathic physician or even there's a lot of great people doing chiropractic work. And there are also many MDs who are also in the forefront, like Dr. Davis is, with nutrition, with lifestyle practices that can actually help you to be healthy. Because his goal is to help you to be drug-free. His goal is to help you to have the weight that you truly want to have. His goal is to make sure that you're disease free. It's not a lot of money in that, but there's a lot of great people who are out telling your story and, and singing your praises so that all of that is coming back to you. And I know he's seen this many times over and over again that, you know, um, all this good is definitely coming back to him and make sure to pick up Undoctored and add this to your library. Check out some of the statistics in there. It's going to blow your mind when you start to see 
the lobbyists and you start to see some of the, the money that's dropped on, on drugs and on surgeries and all this different stuff, it becomes very difficult. Even if you get into the field with the objective to help people, how difficult the system can be and kind of choking that mission out of you just to be able to pay your own bills as a physician. All right, so we got to change the game and it starts with us. And it starts with getting connected to information like Dr. William Davis shared today and also in his new book, Undoctored. So make sure to check it out. I appreciate you so much. If you got a lot of value out of this episode, make sure to share it out on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. And tag me, tag me on your Insta stories. I, I love to see that. And we've got some amazing, amazing episodes coming up and some great guests. So make sure to stay tuned. Good stuff is on the way. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.